0: 32 counties, 32 questions. Her name is usually Una and my name is Andrea and this is United Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. This week's county, Wexford. And this week's question, is sustainable fashion an oxymoron? Nah, the week that was, um, it was headed up a lot in Ireland by Ortiz's announcement that they're restructuring and a lot of redundancies, getting rid of all their digital platforms, um, which is, if you look at it, kind of sad because the digital platforms were where all the new talent was uh, incubated. It was also where uh, new music was given a chance to be heard and to grow and to be platformed, essentially. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out if there is plans to create another incubator for the music industry in Ireland all the time you see the likes of Phantom going the likes of the places that play Irish music and with such an upsurge in Irish music at the moment especially with the likes of the grime scene the rap scene our electro scene um, like we're knocking it out of the park we just don't have any uh, places to go something we were talking about now uh, during the weekend obviously everyone on Twitter has a solution to the RTU crisis um, apart from D Forbes uh, according to them but uh, we'll see how she goes with the solutions but we were talking about wouldn't it be great the way 2FM or the way Radio 1 in the UK is a normal radio station during the week playing for the popular culture and the mainstream but then at the weekend turns into um, a hub for new music for electro for parties etc so there's room for everyone to uh, exist so that would be nice if we could see something like that happening further away and uh, I feel like a a newsreader. Hello Anne Doyle. I I I feel you. Uh, The violence in Hong Kong is still raging on and bows and arrows joined the arsenal of petrol bombs being used after five months of protesting. Now, the protest began over a proposed law that would have allowed criminal suspects to be extradited to mainland China where they could face opaque and politically sensitive trials, which is obviously in bits. And activists saw the bill as another sign of an erosion in Hong Kong's autonomy and civic freedoms, which China promised would be maintained for 50 years under a one nation, two systems principle when the former British colony returned to Chinese control in 1997. So obviously, it's not something you want to see. The subways were shut down again um, and a lot of the religious groups came together and asked police and protesters to lay off the violence and so you would hope that something could uh, be solved soon. It's not something that's nice to have to live in or to visit or to be part of. Um, So obviously there's a bigger picture there but still um, five months is a long time. Uh, A little less serious but also very interesting and something that came out in the news this week was a poll by Safe Food that uh, showed that one third of people consider protein bars a healthy choice even though chocolate is listed as the main ingredient in 38% I think and 77% are full of saturated fat so it just goes to show you that we're being fed a marketing spiel of on the go protein bars are good for you but they're not they're in bits wow everything's in bits today, Andrea Uh, (laughs) another thing that's in bits uh, but maybe a bit of a good bits is the televised coverage of Trump's impeachment kicks off today Um, it's going to run for weeks we have another media circus you have to wonder is it all in good faith we would hope so but we will watch that one with interest and uh, we obviously hate giving him any airtime so we'll move on fast somebody else who does not deserve some airtime mother of Christ Noel Grealish was in the Dáil, um having some chats the other day and he said the following. Taoiseach, transfers to other EU countries I can understand. For example, money being transferred to the United Kingdom, our nearest neighbour, with over 100,000 British people living in Ireland and over 10,000 Irish students in the UK. But Taoiseach... 3.4 billion transferred to one non EU country is astronomical. He was, of course, referring to uh, money transfers that are leaving Ireland, and he was saying that there was a lot of money uh, leaving, but he was mo- most concerned about the money heading to Nigeria. Um, what an absolute dose of Ruth Coppinger called him out straight away, fair play. Like, you're nothing but being racist. Um, here, here, agreed. Um, And then today's news, following last week's water episode, it was revealed by the Environmental Protection Agency here on in called the EPA that raw sewage of 77,000 people was being flushed out, untreated, to the Irish Sea by Irish water every day. Luckily we have those water meters though, isn't it? And finally, in the week that was, belonged to which is a support group and network, and uh, they do loads of wonderful things uh, for the LGBT uh, youngsters, Um, launched the results of their 2019 school climate survey. And one of the main results of that indicated that 73% of LGBT LGBT plus students surveyed felt unsafe at school. Um, with almost half saying this is because of their sexual orientation. So it's clear that while we're out of marriage equality and loads of pride flags and rainbows that everything is not rainbows and unicorns in schools for the children. Um, And there's another campaign that's going on called Come In so people don't have to come out um, so that we're not putting pressure on people to disclose their sexuality at whatever stage and that we're maybe all a bit fluid. Now it's time for some County Facts. Today, it's Wexford. I'm with Una away. Andrew is in the hot seat with me. Hey. Andrew and Andrea. Uh, so, Wexford, population 149722. It's quite high for a county.
1: It is. I guess all the people who live down there now. <laughs> drive really, to Dublin. it's all
0: the people who live there.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I meant all the people who live there and then now Come commute, commute yeah. to Dublin, I guess. Lots of gory-based people who work in Dublin. <laughs> and not my with experience. the, like, blood oozing. No, not <laughs> that kind of gory. <laughs> uh, Wexford was founded by the Vikings in about 800 AD. The name Fjord.
0: <laughs> Finally, it's not me trying to do the pronunciation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was an old Scandinavian name for inlet of flat mudlands.
0: Uh, it is quite glamorous in that it had its own language. It was called Yola quite similar to YOLO <laughs> uh, and it's an extinct variety of English once spoken in the Baronies of Forth and Bargy in County Wexford. and it's thought to have evolved from Middle English which was brought to Ireland during the Norman invasion between beginning in 1169 um, and as such it was quite similar to the Fingalian dialect of the Fingal area I want to learn about Fingalian. Um, both became extinct in the 19th century when they were replaced by modern Hiberno-English.
1: Wow, I never knew that. I know, it's juicy. That is quite it? an interesting one. Uh, one of the oldest operating lighthouses in the world can be found in Wexford, which is, of course, Hookhead Lighthouse. It was listed as one of the top 14 attractions in Ireland by Lonely Planet, which is a bit sad when you think about it. Do Ooh, you I... not think like a lighthouse is no, one of the top No, I went to a lighthouse
0: 14? recently and it was so deadly. It was like... It was run by our, this is where I don't have the memory, but it was in Wales, and it's a really famous one in Wales, and it's run by, on something, Tar or something. Anyway, my stories are always brilliant,
1: aren't they? I just feel like a country should have 14 better things than a lighthouse.
0: (laughs) We've got the spire, (laughs) and we've got the bluesy and the jacuzzi.
1: Where is that now? That's in Stephen's Green, isn't it?
0: I don't think it is. I think it's on the north side.
1: Right. Mm. They took it off O'Connell Street. So yeah, they put it go? but they
0: put it in a park somewhere. I don't think it got as a salubrious location as St Stephen's Green. <sighs> she deserves it though, mad bitch. Uh, <laughs> part of Steven Spielberg's 1998 Oscar winner fi- winning film, Save a Priving Ryan, was filmed on Kirklow Beach, not far from Wickla- Wexford Town, and the movie Brooklyn. Uh, was partially filmed in Enniscorthy and had loads of locals as the extras.
1: That's good. Saving Private Ryan's is where they blow people's legs off in Yeah. the star of the movie. It's quite intense. But that's what happens in war, <laughs> as we'll soon find out when the world descends into that. Oh. <laughs> uh, the Wexford Opera Festival has run since 1951. You a fan of opera?
0: Um, I love Pavarotti's, uh, obviously famous song, but that's about it.
1: I went to see an opera once in my life in Barcelona <laughs> a fan. in the liceu in Barcelona it was uh, Don Giovanni was the opera uh, but they did a kind of modern version where everybody was wearing tracksuits and stuff oh
0: then I'd be into that <laughs> maybe
1: I'm not sure I do <laughs>
0: love a, a spicy Italian so like <laughs> I'd say I'd like that And opera and, I do and like, meatball yeah and like I love a like sturdy performer yes. shall we say <laughs> uh, but I feel like if I went to the opera I'd be like Julia Roberts Right, like at the start, I'd be like flicking the glasses, not knowing what's going on. But then I descend into tears with the beauty of it all.
1: Because you're I overwhelmed by
0: overwhelmed. I do get overwhelmed by feasts of beauty in
1: my ears and eyes. Well, there you go. That's what music. That's what music does.
0: Yeah. Uh, records have shown that Wexford is the sunniest county in Phila—in not Philadelphia. It's
1: always sunny <laughs> yeah. in Philadelphia.
0: It's always sunny in Wexford, apparently, as well. Uh, because on average, Wexford receives more hours of sunshine than any other county
1: in Ireland. Right. Sunny southeast. And oh,
0: well. yeah, which leads beautifully on to the next fact.
1: It has one of the longest continuous beaches in Ireland running along its east coast for 27 kilometres
0: that's like if you wanted to go running on a beach that'd be a
1: good one to go on it would be but too far for me yeah well, 2.7 kilometers and maybe and running
0: on a beach have you ever tried it it's, it's difficult it's not like no. I'm always jealous of those glam taut bodied people just gla- <laughs> David like, Hasselhoff you're talking yeah, about here Pamela Anderson <laughs> bouncing along yeah <laughs> She's so glam. In 1963, John F. Kennedy, who was the President of the United States, visited the county and his ancestral home in Dunganstown, near New Ross. I feel like I got that right today. I think so. Yeah. He made a beautiful speech. Did he? Yeah. He said if his family hadn't uh, left the country and his father left with nothing but his faith and his integrity or something on his back and see... This is what migrants are, people. Uh, that if he hadn't have left, he'd probably be working. Any named like some of the companies that were in the area. Right. a Really nice touch.
1: Okay. And then, then, he got, <laughs> then he got shot a few weeks later. Um, famous people from uh, Wexford include Colum Tobin, born in Enniscorthy in 1955. John Banville. The writer, born in Wexford in 1945, Eileen Gray, the pioneering designer and architect, was raised in Enniscorthy. Also, Wallace Byrd, Des Bishop, Gordon Darcy, Krista Berg. Krista Berg, really? Anne Doyle. Sorry, can we have a
0: moment for Anne Doyle at James Cavanaugh's birthday, where she was like, the forecast is going to be lit. <laughs> <laughs> she is a gas trap.
1: She's amazing. You see her around Rathmines. I used to see her around Rathmines all the time, just like you being Anne Doyle She's just, just Anne Doyling her way around such town. an icon and uh, apparently Ed Sheeran's Granny Nancy is from Wexford <laughs> I didn't look these facts up I, dis- <laughs> I disassociate myself from that one in particular you can't come on you're in there <laughs> alright Wexford facts there you have us.
0: This week, Tara Stewart launched her new podcast, Dirty Laundry, that explores a more sustainable side of fashion. But fashion, by its very nature, is about new ideas, new shapes, excess and, of course, commercial viability. So many artists are asked to water down their visions to make them more commercial so that they can sell more units. Success is measured in how many units you're selling, essentially, and... As our county this week is Wexford, and um, one of the biggest advocates for sustainable fashion that I've come across recently is Wexford man and designer Richard Malone. Of course, the industry has been looking inwards to see how it can change, but when you have stalwarts of fast fashion like h and M CEO making comments about the devastating effects more sustainable practices, or as he called a consumer shaming, will make to the bottom line, even though he dressed it up as a social threat, uh, you have to wonder if the sustainable fashion movement will ever become a fully circular industry. And sustainability is increasingly becoming a selling point for customers. According to a report by the Global Fashion Agenda, more than one third said they had already switched brands when they were offered an alternative that stands for more positive environmental or social practices. And the study found that more than half said they plan to do so in the future. But another big question that comes from the rise of sustainable fashion of the sustainable fashion movement is the ability to access affordable, sustainable clothing. Shopping sustainably can very often be a privileged activity um, with organic cottons and thoughtfully designed priced out of most people's reach. Um, fashion influencers are also dancing around the subject. You can see it popping up on loads of feeds and they're definitely do- dropping their t- popping their toes into the water. Um, but on the same day that this is happening they're dressing head to toe in a new fast fashion look or promoting a new fast fashion collection. Is there a balance to be struck? This week, we speak to two fashion queens about their sustainability jo- journeys. First up, Tara Stewart. She's a TJ on 2FM, playing you new music first. And as well as being influential in the music world, she's known for throwing a look and has been uh, recently become a very vocal and passionate with sustainable fashion, even going as far as to launch her podcast. Hello and welcome, Tara Stewart! (laughs) (laughs) Ah, cracker's wild! (laughs) Thanks for coming to the studio today, Tara. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Andrea. You're very welcome. So we'll kick straight in congrats mm-hmm. on your new podcast Dirty Laundry thank you it's gone to the top of loads of charts already I yep. number one all over the world all over the world <laughs> not really that is a lie
2: <laughs> just in case anyone calls me out no
0: it's doing really well I'm surprised so I'm delighted I'm delighted free. But tell me, what made you decide to focus on sustainable fashion for a podcast? So RTE came to me,
2: well my my producer in particular, Alice, um, she came to me and asked if I wanted to do a podcast on um, fashion in general and you know I love my clothes love my fashion and I was like well right now with the climate of fashion I don't really want to do also I was like I just don't really know what to do in terms of I don't want to just do like a big broad fashion thing so he said to her I'd rather do something on sustainable fashion and um, just focus on that subject and then it kind of just um I mean we just planned it just being a little thing her and I were working on and then it just kind of grew we um and everyone, all the big bosses kind of got wind of it and decided to get on board as well and so now it's part of the RTE on climate which is an initiative for the whole this whole week basically um, that they're doing we're putting loads of different shows on TV and then the podcast out as well so um, but yeah, the, that's basically why. That's how, kind of how it happened.
0: And I suppose it's interesting to see your journey because you were a big collaborator with fast fashion brands mm-hmm. um, and then made the decision to step back from that. And now you're, I suppose, fronting a sustainable fashion uh, thing. So how did you go from there? And was that like a hard decision to make? It was. Like, I mean,
2: I, I have... Always, I hate when people say I've always been into something, but I am gonna, about to <laughs> say that. Um, but I've been into charity shopping and vintage shopping since I was a kid, and so I've always had a love of vintage. Um, but then I guess, put, and I never really shopped fast fashion more, much until I started DJing for them, and so that's kind of when things changed. Which and because I just, to be honest, I never even thought they'd have stuff in my size. Mm. Um, and I'm a size 16, 18 and so I just never even bothered really looking because I knew it whenever I went into like Zara, Topshop, nothing ever hit me so i just assumed if you have boobs, You
0: are not getting in literally, there
2: literally 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 you usually may, might buy something for the fabric if it's nice <laughs> and then try and see what you can do with it or earrings literally that's the only <laughs> option so i kind of um, never really looked on those sites but then basically started djing for them a couple of years ago for a, a, a good few of them because um, they host parties a lot that's mm. a big re- ha- um, a big Um, tool they have to get their name out there. Loads of influencers come, get spread on social media, they get a new collection out, all that kind of stuff. And so then they'd offer me clothes to wear at the event, um, to wear for while I was DJing. And so I started looking on the websites Then I was like, oh, they've actually got like big sizes and a lot of them, not a lot of them, some of them go up
0: to like size 22 to 24. And that's only quite recently because I remember fast fast fashion did not even think about bigger size bodies before, and no. now it's literally like everyone's launching their plus size, their curve, mm-hmm. their blah blah blah.
2: Something. Yeah, and um, which was great. I was delighted because I was like, oh, there's clothes that say that you can't get in vintage or charity shops. That um, like you know, that are more trend driven. I've never been one for follow trends, but there's stuff that you're like, oh, I've seen Rihanna wear that. I'd love to get that, and you can get a cheap version yeah. of it online that'll fit me. So. I was doing all of that and then a couple of the brands approached me just from me DJing for them a couple of times and getting to know them. They were like, do you want to do um, sponsored content on your Instagram? And I was like, oh my God, yes. Like, that's so cool. Like, you know, literally being given free clothes and getting paid to wear them. Like, it's an absolute dream. Yeah. And so I was so delighted with that. And I'm not going to lie, I genuinely didn't know what fast fashion was doing mm. at all. And... um like the harm, the bad, the dark side of fast fashion. I was. Drawn to the, re- the them having bigger sizes, and then they had um, you know curvy girls on their website. They were all about feminism and you know body positivity, and they had um, different girls of ethnicities on there as well. So I was like, yes, I love it. This is totally a brand I can get amongst because um, I really believe in that kind of stuff. And then um, so I was doing that for last year was basically the only kind of year I was doing it. I wasn't I wasn't doing loads of posts, um, but I was doing. I had a couple of contracts with a couple of brands, and I had a couple of opportunities going to London with them they'd fly you over to go to like cool concerts so it is a really cool thing to get on the outside you're like You get to be flown. You get to be free clothes. You get to go to cool events. Glamorous life, exactly. (laughs) It's this really cool, glamorous life. You get to live this kind of cool VIP life. There's going to be celebrities at the parties that you're at. And so, I genuinely wanted to kind of make that relationship better and work on the relationship more for my DJing because I wanted to do more DJing gigs internationally. I wanted to go Coachella. Coachella is all driven by brands doing parties. That's how you get to do gigs. That's how DJs get to do gigs there. Um, and most festivals these days, it's all brand. You know, I was like, OK, I'm not a known DJ. I can play at a pop-up at a festival that's run by a brand like this. And so then I was working on that. And I was those opportunities were in the works. And then I genuinely started following um, a couple well, um, Sustainable Fashion Dublin. There are two girls, Taz and Geraldine. Taz I've known for years. And then Taz started to really like post a lot about sustainability and fast fashion and I was like oh yeah that's cool like fair play to her like at the time and I was like so hippie that's so hippie love it like you know she's going out and doing her thing so then but then I like I was actually engaging in that content I was reading it I was reading what she was posting and I was watching her videos and then I was like, jeez, I genuinely didn't have a clue. And I'm embarrassed that I didn't. Like, how did I not know? Um, but I didn't, right? Loads of people don't. Exactly. Like, like and
0: even like in uh, in work, like I'll see all the packages coming in and be like, "Do you? what about this? What about that? Mm. It's like, yes, yeah, so I don't want to wear the same outfit twice on Instagram. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. And I kind of got into that mindset as well where I was like, I can't wear the same outfit for another gig because mm. I was DJing all the time. And I am but I was like I can't wear the same outfit because I wore
0: that at another one which is bananas when you think about it when that was something that like this Instagram generation has spawned of Mm -hmm. like when you look back on how clothes were like treasured in the past you'd have your gorgeous clothes that you'd take care of and bring them out and show them off all the time Mm -hmm. whereas now we're like I've worn that once dispose. yeah it's done with and also
2: the quality of it isn't good and you just get you're okay with it and only lasting three times or something but that shouldn't be the case you I've kind of kind of I guess then got used to just having this disposable mindset of fashion and was like oh yeah like I've worn that grant that's done with and being okay with things falling apart like Mm. I'd be at a festival and things would seems I was at it I remember being at a gig and I was wearing a dress and it popped completely open and I went and got some safety pins put it together I was like oh well that's fashion (laughs) fashion." and I'm like that's not okay we shouldn't be okay with that standard because you are paying your money even if it's cheap you're still paying your hard earned money for these things so anyway, um, so I mean, I've kind of gone off on from a tangent now and I've forgotten what the question was. But that was ha- if it was hard for me hard to, to step away yeah. from
0: like the influencer fashion. Yeah,
2: dichotomy. It, it was. It wasn't, it wasn't. So when I, I kind of just had this kind of eureka moment mm. where I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? I can't do this. It doesn't feel right. And that's always something with me, you know, promoting things on my Instagram and um, talking about brands or whatever, especially because we live in such a brand run uh, world. Mm. I've always wanted to work and with brands that, like um, a good basically and so this was something that it was like well if that's what my ethics are why am I doing, why am I and I was contributing to the problem, I'm encouraging people to buy new, I'm telling them to swipe up to get this outfit, you can look like this if you go and buy these things and sending them codes and all this kind of stuff so I was contributing to the problem so that's why I was like I can't do this anymore and I had about three or four posts left with a particular fast fashion brand and they literally it was during the week when I was really going Oh God, I was so anxious about emailing them Um, because I just don't like um, confrontation and so I don't like saying I don't want to do something I'm very much like yes 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 all the time because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings (laughs) and also I just feel bad Um, I don't want anyone to hate me you know so I basically then um, I remember getting an email and they were like um, hey uh, we want to know if you want to renew your contract for the next um, like 10 weeks it was like a 10 week contract thing And it was like, I think, 20 posts in 10 weeks kind of thing. And so they emailed me that. And then I was like, oh, God, I just have to nip this in the bud. I was like, I can't do this anymore. It just doesn't feel right. And so I emailed them back. And I emailed the girl in particular who looked after me, who looks after influencers in Ireland. And um, I said, I basically just laid things out. I was like, you know, I'm not really out working with you in the future if you guys change the way Mm -hmm. you run the business. And then the boss got in, CC'd in, and I was like,
3: oh, Thomas. oh my
2: God, I was, and I actually was nauseous. I was literally like couldn't focus on anything else that day because um, I was waiting for these emails to come in. And she was not happy. She was really, really angry with me. And she was like, um, we have our recycled range, but I was like, yeah, but that's still the the it's still it's the talking about the, it's greenwashing yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you've got the ethics behind it still and like I'm talking about things on, I'm not just talking about the climate change side of things I'm talking about the ethical side of things as well so she said that what and then, do you mean by the ethical side of things so how people are treated in the factories that are making these clothes and how much they're being paid yeah and so I the, which is not new information it's been a, this has been around yeah, yeah. since like the 90s but it's information that like I think before we were just like oh that's just the way it is but like it shouldn't be the way it is but anyway I'll get into that but um, she wrote back was really angry I just said no that's still not okay Um, you know you guys really are the leaders in fast fashion in the world and you have the power to change things and they do they're making a lot of money but anyway uh, so she yeah ended really badly between us and then I had they'd already prepaid me and so she was like you still owe us four posts and I was like I'll pay you the money back for those posts and she literally sent me the bank details and I just transferred the money straight away because I just couldn't yeah I was like I just can't do this even the idea I was just so anxious with the idea of posting four more posts just knowing that I, I was contributing to a problem
0: and when you see I suppose when we like we were talking about earlier how you have like inf- like you're coming from an influencer side of things where you have influencers who are dipping their toes in and then going oh I'm all about sustainability and then they're like Launching a new fast fashion range that mm. night, like mm. how do you like put the two of them together?
2: It's um like I have two minds about that because on one hand I think it's good, especially these kind of influencers that have huge following, that they're even talking about the word sustainability because they're reaching a completely different audience that others can. Um, and well, for me personally, mm. I definitely have a different kind of demo to them, um, so I think it's great that they are talking about the word. And but I, I, I obviously I'm like, well, then you're still contributing to the problem. But I get it because that's their form of income. They're making money that yeah. way, but they definitely need to think rethink about their career. I think and it's scary like I'm lucky I'm a DJ and I'm a radio presenter
0: you have you you have the kind of safety net of being able to make those decisions and not rely on your
2: financial but the the, the, me promoting the clothes thing that was just an added bonus to my life that was like oh that's extra money that I can now it wasn't a lot of money like they don't pay great but it was extra money and so um, but for them they would get because my followers aren't as big they would get a lot paid a lot more for that Um, so yeah on one hand I think it's great they're talking about the subject, but at the same time, they definitely need to rethink their, because they're business people as well. So I think they need to rethink
0: their business. Yeah, and like I always try and put myself in a position that, in somebody else's position on the other side. So I can Mm -hmm. be like waxing lyrical about X, Y and Z. But at the same time, I try and figure out, okay, loads of brands within the industry are absolutely shitting themselves about the impact of uh, on their business like H&M CEO coming out going like loads of people's lives are going to fall apart and mm. um, people's jobs are at stake and obviously there's a bigger systematic and capitalist issue that needs to be addressed because we as a society and economically we're always chasing growth and like if you keep chasing growth there's nowhere else to grow to until we like literally have <coughs> pillaged the whole world of everything because mm. we're all just trying to get bigger in scale and all that kind of jazz mm. so like I just like if that is the case and. Uh, where do where does fast fashion come into it? If, like because <clears throat> and like I suppose there's also like people's jobs. Like you have all those marketing people. You have like there's a, a whole network of people. Mm. But also like I was reading a load of articles um, about the garment workers as well around the world. And like whilst they don't need to work in dangerous. Conditions for poultry pay goes without saying, but they still need to work. And a lot of brands, and even uh, some, want like there was loads of interviews with the people who are making these clothes saying that they rely on the income from these brands. So if these brands pull out of uh, of those countries and those uh, economies, mm-hmm. um, it does. Does that still make sense to work on instilling change? Like it does. It, like by boycotting the brand individually, is that doing enough? Whereas it actually is a systematic. Uh, this thing that needs to change with the heads of the companies to be like we need to pay these people a living wage we mm-hmm. need to make sure that they're safe we, Like so, there. it kind of feels like how do we bring about those changes rather mm-hmm. than like not by like, yeah. do you know that way you kind of answered my
2: question there as well <laughs> in a way so I'm possibly going to re-answer it in my own words um, but I absolutely agree they need to make a living and they need to make money but the reality is boycotting these brands isn't meaning they're not going to go away. Like they're not, they're making, the bosses are making so much money. And um, the, at the, the reality is people vote with their wallets. And we know from even you and I as people and as friends, mm. that's how things have changed even in Ireland. And so the end goal for me, I feel, is putting pressure on them as a consumer um, so that they change their business model and look at the way it's run and take a look at their finances and upping the price of their clothes so that more money goes to the workers and so the quality of the garment is also better so that we don't have to buy the garment m- numerous amounts of times. Like yeah. one black T-shirt loads of times. One black T-shirt will last longer so we don't have to buy a brand new one after three washes. Um,
0: yeah, because I suppose... for Sorry to interrupt. For yeah. me, like, I... Because I... Uh, like, if I go into a vintage shop, like you were saying, it's very difficult to fine clothes in my size. like, mm. And that's just a long and short of it. And there was a vintage swap shop or a clothes swap shop for like plus size. plus size which is brilliant to see that starting to happen but like it still limits me in the clothes I wear. So I do basically uh, buy in a spectrum of shops and mm-hmm. some of them are fast fashion but the way I kind of whether it's me giving myself more licence or whether it's me trying to do what is the best I can do is that I don't throw clothes out I wear clothes to death I don't buy for events I literally will buy something and I, like my sister used to slag me when I was like 18 because I would never throw one piece out and I still have all the clothes from when I was 18 Now it's a different size then but like she goes shopping in them In like she'll go to the suitcase I have in the wardrobe (laughs) and shopping them but like all the clothes I have I have for years so like I feel like there's different ways that you can have sustainable fashion rather than just looking for sustainability brands Mm -hmm. because obviously there's a restriction in terms of sizing and pricing and that it is kind of like a privileged situation to be able to go and buy organic cotton or absolutely um, it is quite a, and I think um, I definitely
2: do agree with the argument that it can be a very middle class kind of argument as well and see I mean I don't I don't even know if I've bought from any like sustainable brands per se like new from per se I think I bought one dress which was a birthday present to myself and it was made like from plastic bottles and it was with gorgeous like fish on it but it was like 250 euro but that was my birthday present yeah, to me yeah, like yeah. that was a treat that,
0: and, like you can't and no one
2: like that I. can't sustain. That's not sustainable for you. No, what, Whatever no. about being sustainable fashion. Exactly. And unfortunately, there are like sustainable um, brands. They, there's a price tag there, and also the sizing isn't great. And it annoys me. I'm a 16 to 18, and I struggle to find stuff that fit me. Fits me. I literally just found like three pairs of denim jeans for the first time. I'm 29, and I've never been able to find vintage jeans that fit me. And I, now they still don't even fit me properly, to be honest. They, <laughs> but they they will do. And so I think a big part of it is um, looking at your wardrobe already like you've said because the thing is a lot of us have been on
0: the planet for a long time already we already have full wardrobes Um, and so apparently mm. uh, where we are 52% of our wardrobe is garments that we don't wear and like I think 20 like this is one of those like making up facts but like (laughs) it was a 20 something fact about of garments in your wardrobe still have the tags on them.
2: Yeah, and you forget about them as yeah. well and even something as simple as the way you store your clothes in your room. I know that I've got like loads of stuff in a suitcase under my bed and last night I was like, "Geez, I haven't looked in that suitcase in like a few months. I'm like, I bet you have more stuff in there that I could, but instead I'm just opening my drawer and looking at what's there and probably re- re-wearing yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of the stuff. But yeah, for me... I had to take <clears> the <this throat> doors off my wardrobes because if I don't see it, I don't wear it. That's it, I'm the same. I'm literally, because I can't. I literally will be in the shower, visioning my Instagram to try and think of the clothes yeah, I have yeah, yeah. already, um, which again is a privileged position. Exactly. Like whatever. So exactly. Like- and also, I think it's I, I do want to say that um, I it, like, but still buying from these brands. If you have to do that, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm talking about the people that buy. Constantly in hauls from it that don't need it and buy loads and loads of clothes for every single weekend. And that happens. They're doing YouTube hauls all the time and you've got the YouTubers, but then also they're influencing others to go and buy a whole new winter wardrobe or a whole new autumn winter, but you already have the clothes that you yeah. bought last year. Where are those clothes from before? And well, why aren't they good enough? Exactly. But if you have to go into pennies and get knickers or get socks or get jeans, there's nothing wrong with that. For necessity, yeah. I just am talking about
0: the people that. Yeah, don't There think. has been a bit of a uh, clapback against like p- places like Extinction Rebellion who are walking through Primark yeah. like protesting. It's like and I people personally need t- to wear clothes, and, and some yeah. people and they need to work, only, that, and people
2: need to work there as yeah. well. And so I, my, I personally don't agree with that because people work in those shops. You know, like there's, and that's what I'm. So that's when I'm saying boycott. I don't mean that all these shops need to shut down and close. I mean that the companies need to change because why is it okay that like when you look at say one of the biggest fast fashion brands in the world the owner is a millionaire now right and his dad was a millionaire he owned another fast fashion brand and he his brother inherited that so it's a big family affair and to be honest most of the uh, the biggest fast fashion brands are all owned by the one family Mm. and but you see him with loads of really, really, really expensive cars. He's got mansions. He's partying with the elite celebrities. But sure, isn't and that like
0: the capitalist world we live in? The, I know. All the money's going up in a pyramid Absolutely, It's to not being spread. I know, and that's what I we mean. We need to bring down in, capitalism. Literally. Bring down capitalism. <laughs> Tara to. and Andrea, bring down capitalism. <laughs> to be honest,
2: I wouldn't, <laughs> You're be, <welcome> world. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up being us. But why is it okay that you've got, say, in the department for the marketing, the social media, and the PR of these brands, They've got, like I have seen their offices, they're lovely offices, they've got nice work environments, they seem to earn a living wage. Mm. But why is it the people that actually make the clothes? <laughs> yeah. Why do they not get a living wage? He can, they can make, they can pay
0: them more. That's sure, like I'm- you just have to look at Jeff Bezos <sighs> on Amazon. But that's exactly. a, that's another episode. No, and that's <laughs> the
2: other annoying thing. I actually did want to talk about this. There's, um, you've got Amazon and you've got these shops that literally don't have a human being in them, and people. And I'm just like, don't use that. If you don't use it, then they won't. It'll like he'll change. He'll be like, right, I have to hire people in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So same with loads. I always try and well, no, I always do um, go to a person at a checkout instead of going to the, the thing. We're so good. Oh, We're yeah. such good people. Um, but no, we, I go to the person instead of the self-service uh, because that's more... Those two robots there are two people that could have yeah. been there. You know, so I'm...
0: The rise of uh, automation yeah. and the destruction of yeah.
2: jobs. And that's the thing. And I'm like, it's this idea that it's like we don't have time to be doing things. We don't have time to be looking for clothes, everything we need now, now, now. And we actually don't. Like, there are some things that okay, I need to go and buy. I literally don't have one pair of socks left me. I have to go and buy it right now. Yeah, but I mean like this idea that it's we don't have time for things. We're, we do have time for things. Um, if we
0: don't make it. Yeah. That's what they say in yoga. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They're like, if you don't have time for a yoga class that's when you really need it I know you're right and I've been saying <laughs> that to you for the last nine months
2: every time you're like when you do yoga I'm like I don't have time but now I will make
0: time yeah okay finally <laughs> if you were to give your top tips of uh, what that you've picked up because you're on a sustainable journey you're not claiming to know everything about sustainability mm. you're learning and that's what the podcast is about Literally. which is yeah. uh, which is interesting and have you had any clap back about it or uh, has it been like okay
2: no everything's been great there's
0: um, I would. I'm delighted about and there's I mean I've seen I think it's funny when people see you trying to do something that has a positive impact that there might be like a yeah like literally i've seen i've seen a couple of comments on twitter
2: where it's like um someone said like um are you actually going to talk to like an expert or are you actually is this going to be good and yes i am like mm. um i've done one episode i'm recording more there's and i'm t- i'm i've got experts in the field and also they're all experts from different like areas. A- areas of sustainability um but also um i've and i did see some stuff like on and now i've decided from now on because before no one literally knew who I was like a couple of years ago and I'm not saying loads of people do now but a few more people do now and they're not my demo so and so I've seen comments like and I shouldn't have looked but on journal and (laughs) Uh, I should never look as I can't I know and this is my lesson now because I've never had this experience before really and I'm lucky I haven't Um, and it was people just giving out just being like oh great something else to give out about and blah 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 and it was and I got really upset I was like oh maybe I shouldn't put this podcast out and I'm like you know I've decided I'm actually just not going to look at comments anymore because I'm just trying to do a nice thing and a good thing and it's literally just trying to be positive there's no negativity here and if you have negativity, get out of my life.
0: <laughs> that's, what I, that's what they say in yoga. <laughs> just, <laughs> do they? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right, what are your top tips to top live tips. a fashionable, sustainable life? Mm,
2: so top tips, um, I would say, already look in your wardrobe first and then also just like box off days like um, on a Saturday or whatever and go to charity shops and go to vintage shops. There's so many more vintage shops now and there's also thrift shops, which is great in Dublin, where there's loads more clothes. Yeah. To be honest, I'm like how have we not run out of vintage clothes by now because like there's just so much all over the world. Because they're so
0: well made. Everything's so well made Um,
2: where it's before fast fashion has infiltrated the world. Exactly. And so even when you see in charity, to be honest, charity shopping hurts my soul these days. It's not the most fun because one, most of it is full of fast fashion anyway. (laughs) um, And so it's all not great quality stuff. And um, so as much as I am encouraging people to do that, I also... Um, it hurts me because then all the good stuff is going to be gone. You know, that's this thing. But listen,
0: still, there's going to It's a cyclical thing. Literally. You can also look in your friends' wardrobes. So that's what I Look I'm in get- your
2: friends. And, like, I mean, I actually just realized I have something of yours that I think you forgot <laughs> that I have. And it's like this gorgeous, like, pink feather boa Jeez, thing. enough to go around. See? For all of us. And so I called you up one day. I was like, Andrea, I bet you have something like this. So, yeah. Um, your friends, I mean, um, a lot, uh, you, usually you'll have similar styles with the people you hang out with. And then. And yeah, vintage shopping, charity shopping and also the biggest thing is don't beat yourself up if you want to get a gorgeous dress for something, don't beat yourself up with going on one of these websites and buying that. It's just more considered shopping. It's looking and being like, I really want that dress. Like it is gorgeous and I'm going to keep it and love it. It's instead of just like, oh, it's only a fiver, I'll get it.
0: And also, I think the main one is just because if you're deciding I'm not going to wear fast fashion, don't stop that from making your voice vocal in Getting brands to change how they operate. Absolutely. Don't take that as being enough that you've done. Mm -hmm. There's still stuff to do. There's
2: still stuff to do. And also, I'll say, um, I know a lot of people ask, Oh, should I get rid of everything I have fast fashion now? And I'm like, No, that kind of defeats the whole purpose Purpose. is that you're throwing it out and it's. Wear it to death. death. Yeah. And like, mend it, fix it. I still have um, fast fashion things that I've gotten mended because I actually did really like it and I don't want to get rid of it. And I'm keeping. And you know, it's like, what's her name? Maria Kondo, whatever, with the whole minimal. (laughs) I'm like I don't even want to watch that because I you're just throwing stuff out and it's like keep everything keep everything even if you vacuum pack it and store it like you know and then take it out in ten
0: years like my sister exactly exactly (laughs) Tara thank you so much for joining us you can find her uh, podcast dirty laundry wherever you get your podcasts and if you want to hear from more experts and sustainable queens thanks Tara thanks Andrea. Now we are joined by Richard Malone. Richard Malone is from Wexford and I am a complete fangirl of his. He's a designer consistently on the rise who graduated from Central St. Martin's in 2014 and made his London Fashion Week debut in 2016. Um, Apart from creating magical and mystical and fab and amazing clothes for women that are made with women in mind, he's been extremely vocal about issues and in the fashion industry including sustainability and repeal. Hey Richard thanks for joining us today um, I know you're currently in Tamil Nadu in India where many of your fabrics are produced on your planting or organic regenerative farms so you say?
4: Yes that's what I'm at at the minute yeah I've been doing that all day. <laughs> what,
0: what's, what's the story behind that? So
4: well basically I think uh, I started working with a community of weavers here who kind of government funded to pay for looms and to kind of pay for education and training so they get basically the triple the fair trade wage and then the money's reinvested in the community for everything from like drainage to um water purification and they traditionally it's like an age-old field that's been passed down to generations and generations and you almost wouldn't learn it from a textbook so it's a very hands-on approach um, and then i was just thinking about like where the cotton actually comes from because i don't think a lot of people realize that it's a a plant that flowers Um, and because I think fast fashion has taken up this huge part and it's partly why this sort of um, foundation of weavers was started because the skill was being lost through um, basically fast fashion, wanting denim and wanting things for shirting or or et cetera, et cetera, which is similar to what happened in Ireland with like linen and manufacturing. Um, So I went back to the farm and realised that the, the amount of cotton they require causes the land to basically become arid after a while, so it's the same as farming the same crop over and over again. And um, So you have to do a crop rotation. So we're planting these um, cotton farms, basically, and then on the sides they'll have a, a na- another plant, which is like a natural insect repellent that the insects can go to, and they won't harm the cotton, and then after a season you kind of replace it out with, with vegetables. Um, and it kind of it, it has a way of like watering itself, and a really renewable way of working. So it keeps the soil super healthy. And then in two more seasons, you replant the cotton. And the idea is that it it kind of sustains itself in any season, and it just doesn't cause land to go, you know, barren basically. Right.
0: Well, so you we can safely say that you are a designer who's clearly passionate about sustainability. Then, and something you've said previously <laughs> is. Um, it amazes me how young designers aren't committing to sustainability. You can't be a modern or contemporary designer if you're not sustainable. So just, I suppose, how do you align that with working in an industry that's so wasteful and has so many problems from within it, from a sustainable aspect?
4: I think um, well, I think it's very easy to say that like working in luxury fashion isn't fast fashion, but you know, I worked for luxury houses. I used to work at Louis Vuitton and I worked for Versace and I consulted for a lot of these houses um, and it, it is fast fashion at that level um, and I think for me I went into it with that knowledge and I went I graduated into an industry and was lucky enough to win all these prizes that kind of funded my own label so I was almost doing it before I knew it but I, I was lucky enough to have that knowledge of a luxury house and I knew that I wanted to do things differently so although I show twice a year our business model um, isn't about wholesaling so we don't ever really wholesale collections, which is the traditional way of working and leaves you with dead stock and excess fabric. And I very much work with, it's like an ancient kind of um, made to order way of working, basically, so people would book an appointment and come and do a fitting and we make clothes in that way. And you know, even when we work with people like, my first supporters are people like, I don't know, Bjork or Beyonce were really really supportive in the beginning. So they would book appointments and we do all of those things. And having those supporters um, really allowed me to make something that was sustainable and allowed me to I guess put my money into into researching as well which is kind of what I've been doing and um, I just think it, it's, you have to change it from the inside out and ignoring it I think causes more of a problem and I think I have to keep educating myself as a designer and educating myself on the industry and also calling things out, like I really do think it's crazy that more young designers aren't interested in sustainability or aren't you know, because I'm very open with sharing my research, and when we worked on, we worked with um, fishing nets to make yarn, and um, so we've, you know, basically when a fishing net gets the hole in it, it's essentially dropped in the ocean, and they're made of plastic. So we found a way to change that yarn into a change that net or into a yarn, and then that can be made into fabric, and it took us ages to do that development, and then most recently it's been adopted by Prada for some of their nylon, and I know it's it's very easy to kind of be upset by that. Um, because, you know, a bit massive company has it, but I also think that's, that's the result. You know, like I don't need the payoff for that. And like seeing brands um, adapt in that way, I think that, really, that makes a real difference. Um, and, and the more that I kind of, I'm in the industry and realize that a lot of wholesale models aren't working for other designers and, you know, luxury houses are starting to basically shift themselves because I think as a generation, we're very cautious of it. Um, and the way that we live is very different now. So I think that for me, I'm very sensitive to the fact that I work in the fashion industry and Mm. all of the problems that there are in that. But um, I think the only way to find a solution is by being involved and hitting them kind of the nail on the head.
0: And we all have to wear clothes after all.
4: We do. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many, I mean, even if it's like, I know my friends, other designers or artists who I've kind of went to school with and were like best friends now or, you know, we don't consume in that way necessarily. Like so I feel like it's very easy for us to be like as like essentially we're like, you know, rich white people who live in the world and we can be like, Oh yeah, we'll just, you know, go and get our organic veg but it's it's the worry for me is that the people who can't afford to do that don't have the opportunity to be sustainable. Yeah well actually
0: it totally does because I suppose a lot of your designs are touted as elevating the working class culture you come from and that does throw up the question of accessibility to sustainable fashion financially Um, and obviously I don't want to buy into the narrative that good clothes always cost more and sustainable clothes cost more all the time but if money is tight organic cotton is not necessarily going to be top of your list so how do you think the industry can keep making sustainability more accessible
4: well i think um there's this massive problem um at the speed at which things are moving and i honestly think that if people were educated when you're about like when we were in school say when you're 12 or 13 you start to be a bit rebellious and you start to make your own decisions about who you are and make your values or your morals i think if children were actually introduced to this is how clothes are made, and this is this is what constitutes a garment. you know it, it, no garment takes less than an hour to make really. Um, and when you see a price that's like two euro or three euro, you know you, you have to understand that, that someone there is being exploited. like there isn't another word for that kind of exploitation, mm. and I think that would change the way that we shop completely and when when that shift happens, that's when the quantities for sustainable clothes will become larger. And in terms of like people can use recycled irons or people can use cotton um, and, and the demand for it would cause change. I think the only way that big companies, and I mean like your Gucci's or your Louis Vuitton's or say like even pennies or something, will start listening is when that demand happens. And I think it's happening like slowly now, but um, education has like, totally changed. I mean, I went to, you know, St. Martin's and I, I've been really interested in, fabric in texas for a very long time you know wexford is traditionally like a linen town where we had lots of linen fabric and so i've always had that that real interest but there's so much that we don't know and the pr side of fashion hides so much from people in order to sell it to them and i do think that if you had the knowledge you'd make such different decisions about how you how you dress or why you buy clothes or how often you buy clothes
0: and do you think that there is still a place for fast fashion in the world if they changed the way they approach things or do you think it's just too destructive? Or what do they need to do to stay at the I, races? They're so big and like behemoth at this stage that like what do they do? How can they change their ways to to honor like people needing to buy clothes at affordable price points but not making it but making ethical decisions? Can it change?
4: I think, I mean, I think it can change. I really think it can change. And the, like the problem with fashion is that it's one of the biggest industries in the world. It's one of the biggest earners. And from the inside, like it just isn't legislative. Like there isn't legislation in place to say that you have to um, work with an ethical factory, that you can't go abroad and work, I don't know, in a factory that uses child labor or where the age of, of actually going into a factory and being on this. A floor with heavy machinery is like you know six year olds seven year olds you know there isn't legislation to stop companies here or in the uk or wherever doing that and you, you know you have all of these loopholes um so like say with india you you get a, a levy if you export from here so a lot of clothes you see aren't exported from they not they don't say made in india they'd say made in sri lanka or made in bangladesh or made in um, pakistan and that's because from india you can export one of those countries and then export for free from there. So these big businesses are kind of constantly looking for a cheap way of making clothes. Um, But I do still think it comes down to education. Like if you're paying three euros for something and it would cost you know the difference would be probably five euros. In terms of it it I don't mean that costing eight euros, I mean it would cost two euros more to have something that was sustainably or ethically made or made in a factory that had legislation in place to protect its workers. Because even in our of, of the world between the uk and ireland there isn't legislation to stop stop people using any factories really it, it, it's, it's kind of a really gray area once something comes from outside the country and that i think like blows my mind that that's the case in 2019 2020 because we're all aware of what's happening to the planet and a lot of us are really demanding it but the, the government isn't really reacting which i find like absolutely mental
0: so it's almost like it needs to be the pressure taken off the brands and put more on legislators and governments to yeah. change the way yeah, that things are done.
4: Exactly, because if brands have to perform in a certain way or can't work in a certain way, they'll find ways of working within a framework that is more ethical for everyone. Um, and then if you had that in with you know people being educated and demanding more ethical product or even just demanding more information about your product I think that would really change where you know where we make the decision to click like purchase online or purchase on Instagram or wherever people shop it would really change when you see the actual supply chain I mean in a world jump for like, most world is like 90% marina wool that has to come from New Zealand so that will come from New Zealand it will go to maybe China to be spun Japan to be knitted dyed elsewhere gets on a journey up to a warehouse, gets tagged and then gets sent out from there. And that's a, that's a very small supply chain. When you start taking into consideration things like elastic and zips and having this kind of traceability, if we looked for that, I think we'd make very different decisions. And I'm working with an app now called Provenance who will literally, you can scan a barcode and you can trace exactly where the parts of your garment has come from. And if it kind of turns you off, I guess you won't buy it, but if that was necessary for brands to do or to disclose information about where they're made. Like if you are a a, a mum or like, say I'm like an uncle essentially to my boyfriend's nephew, if I knew that kids were making clothes and not the clothes or like being harmed in any way, you're not going to purchase on a very human level something that's made by a child. You just wouldn't do that. So I think it's the knowledge is like, that's where the real power is in changing the conversation and also changing the spending power and what people demand.
0: Yeah, visibility, I suppose. Um, Sorry, you very clearly design uh, clothes with the women who'll be wearing them in mind, and with pockets, comfort, and machine washable clothes. But also, you've been very vocal about women's rights in Ireland. Uh, You had your own, your open letter published in Vogue. Wore your appeal tee on the catwalk, and then there was that Selfridges window. I love that story. Can you
4: you tell us the story? (laughs) (laughs) It's my favourite. Yeah, of course I can. I mean, I think that's my whole problem. That's essentially why I'm drafting (laughs) selfish. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, but also, yeah, well, I just start where I
0: start. So they, um... I'll start with with a quote you said about it, which was, to be honest, it severed my relationship with Selfridges, but it was worth it because it's more important to have a voice than a store's endorsements of your clothes. Take That's it from there. <laughs> true.
4: Yeah. So yeah, they just asked me to go in and be like a lovely window or whatever, um, and the repeal thing was happening, and I was going back a lot with uh, my family and my, my grandmother and stuff, and sharing a lot of information, doing a lot of phone calling, as you do. I mean, you don't really walk around around from electric. There's <laughs> nothing there. There's like ursula houses. So we drive into town and do the campaign, and I was really getting annoyed about it, and. Um, Dune's book had come out with Repudiate and I'd given copies to like a studio and i you know we'd been talking about it really openly because people in the UK I didn't realise it was a thing at all so then so was asking to come in with that and I said oh yeah great and you've got uh, I think it like, was Waterstones or, there was some bookshop they had there that had Dune's book and I was like can we have some copies of that book and we're going to have people come in and do readings of it like women's premiere or women who share similar stories and they were like yeah 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 that's grand too but uh, your window has to look like lovely you clothes know, and whatever and then, Obviously I showed up with no clothes and I had like some paint markers and I started writing just the facts that we, you know, that we had in Ireland that we were sharing and that was, I guess, making people, twitting people around and whether they were going to vote yes or no. And I was just writing that on the window as you do. And it was literally just like, I, it wasn't being really political. I was actually being very passive for me and just giving the information out. And we were handing out like essays and it was all very lovely. And then someone came down from head office and they were like, Oh, you need to you need to stop this, you know, because it's it's a political message. And I was like, it's, for fuck's sake! Yes, of course, it's a political message, you know. Because and my problem with them trying to shut it down was basically that a few days before we had um, an installation that was about knife crime, that was really focused on on men and like how knife crime really affects men and young boys in London. And as soon as it was a women's issue, and it's not a, just a women's issue; it's like a huge issue for a whole society and a whole country. It was shut down, and like we discussed, the four years went to town on it, and then it blew up, and it was all over the place. And it was very much severed our relationship, but I think that's fine. You know, it's that's grand. It, it was so important that people for, were all together, kind of sharing that information, because so many people didn't know, and it in in my mind that people didn't know it was such a big deal, and it was such a taboo to talk about it. But we got so many, like so many amazing responses from people, although on social I had loads of like men messaging me about like how could I support abortion and I was like, what the fuck? Like whose decision is this? Do you know what I mean? Like, and, I just, I don't know. The whole concept blew my mind but it was very funny and very dramatic and we just kept going and then uh, basically uh, was it, there was a charity who called the video was it where they were like stopped doing it and I just kept going and then well, we just kept going until the window was full of information and I couldn't write repeal or something or they would like literally wash it off. So I had to do a kind of crossword puzzle that just basically said sort of like with PODA everywhere. I so we could only really want like women's rights humans' <laughs> rights. But it was you know it was important and I was I was delighted with it really.
0: Well Richard, I'm delighted with you and I absolutely do love you <laughs> and I wish there was more people who looked at their businesses and their practices the way you do and long may you continue to rise. Thank you very much for joining us. No worries. Thank you so much. I'm a massive fan. This week's Get in the Sea, it seems really personal and it is. And it seems really petty and it is. But holy moly, mother of Andrea, I can't get over it. In the cinema, having a lovely time, chomping on my popcorn, having a little sip of the sparkling water I brought in with me in a sustainable cup shit (laughs) (laughs) caught rapid Uh, but I did recycle there's my moral licence but watching the film there was a full scale conversation going on with the couple beside me now I'm not even talking about like oh that's cute isn't it or as I was saying oh my god your man's an absolute wetser they were fully going talking about each car in each scene each I went to see Le Mans 66 each car in each scene the engines on it the wheels on it the like like giving a full commentary like it was actually like sitting in a radio uh, studio having an interview rather than being in the cinema. How have we gotten to the stage where we're, we're not conscious of manners of other people sitting beside us watching a film? I just can't get over it. So like that couple not just that couple basically people without manners can absolutely get in the sea. And now that that seems very negative about my cinema experience on a positive side as part of my fave bits, Le Mans 66 is a really, really, really great movie. I absolutely adored it. Um, it as I said, it's full of absolute wetters. Um, but also it's a really uh, great storyline. It's I was reading an interview with the director who was like, this is a film that will probably not be made as much anymore because of the narrative. And it's even though it's about fast cars and two men being mean to each other and like being misogynistic a little bit, uh, they reckon with all the superhero films, it's on the way out. And obviously Martin Scorsese comes into that conversation as well. But... I do have to say, it is a really good film, it tells a great story and I find, as a big fan of Dynasty, and then watching the Dynasty remakes, see how I can bring Dynasty in. I find Andrew's laughing at me. Uh, as a big fan of Dynasty, if you watch the old series, they're so slow moving, and like not really much happens in an episode. Like you come away, and not much happened in that. Even though, like an explosion went off, and Blake went blind, and then he pretends not to be blind, and then he throws someone down the stairs, and then they have a, like loads happens, but it's just so beautifully paced that it doesn't feel overwhelming, and that it's scooching from scene to scene. And I find that with uh, cinema experiences and TV shows now that it's literally just um, so fast and furious because people don't have um, attention spans. So I feel like this was kind of honouring that slower moving, even though it it was it didn't feel like it lost its pace at all. Um, but yeah, I would go and see Le Man 66. I definitely give it the thumbs up. Uh, I also give uh, Dimitri from Paris the thumbs up because that is on Friday can't wait to get my little rave on and also no more hotels it's this is Saturday if you are coming get your tickets uh, the dinner in a show part is sold out um, we are looking to make the dinner in a show part bigger because it has been Unbelievable how popular this part has been. We set it up because we wanted to challenge the shape of clubbing um, and that you could go out clubbing and have a clubbing experience and be home in bed by 11 and that has been so popular um, but there are still tickets left to the after party which is also going to be an absolute whoop out of it. We have uh, Green Party councillor Hazel Chew playing, Mazer, the artist is playing, Conor O'Donoghue from Wild Youth, uh, Cullum from the new Café Daddies. There is a lot going on it is going to be lit to the tit also lit to the tit was Lizzo I did a cute little meet and greet with her got my picture with her like meet and greets are just the weirdest thing in the world like I went into it knowing that and there was only a couple of us doing it, but you are it's just like, so I don't know you. You don't know me. You don't give a fuck about me, but let's get our picture. Uh, but got the picture. She's actually sound out of it. And I don't give a fuck about celebrities. Uh, I don't really care about meeting them. But for some reason, I just was obsessed with meeting her because I think Lizzo is a phenomenal energy and I love what she's doing, and I love that she's on the cover of Vogue this month. And I love the Ches Whopper songs, and I love her looks. And I just think she's a whoop out of a bitch, as she would say. Bye, bitch. And finally, in my favourites, I have loads of favourites. I'm not negative Nancy this week. Uh, I never leave St. William Street. Our, we record our podcast on St. William Street. My salon is on St. William Street. Everything happens on St. William Street. Um, and. As part of that, two neighbours from St. William Street, kind of, they're not technically on St. William Street, have good chicken on this week. Mo Muse is a jewellers in Paris Court, and they celebrated their tenth birthday. And I love hearing stories of independent boutiques and retailers uh, hitting milestones, doing good shit, selling stuff that that means a lot to them and to their buyers, um, and that they continue to remain small and not need to open 20 shops to prove that they're successful so happy birthday Mo Mews. and separately to that uh, is a passionata which is a flower shop on the Westbury Street is that Clarendon Street Clarendon Street Uh They have a new book out and if you follow Apassionata on Instagram, they always do these beautiful, like inspirational pieces of flowers they're inspired by. And it's not just flowers, it's actual works of art. So I'm really excited to see their new book, which is launching next week. So, yeah, they're all my fave bits. So we'll just have time to bid you adieu. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media with support from Susie Bennett. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll. And have you listened to its essential mix? That's so whopper. Big up deck and congrats on your essential mix. Sarah Fox did all of our design. And as usual, you can find all our socials on our website, unitedirelandpodcast.com. Send us a little message. We love getting them. We got a great suggestion from somebody today. I will be looking at that for a next episode. Um, so if you have anything you think we should cover, do send us a message. We are open to subjects. And as they say, our DMs are open. We've only got time now to leave you with our tuna chicken roll. This is like an absolute whopper's tuna. It's from 2018. It is Tiana Taylor, WTP. It's very explicit because the WTP stands for Wook That Pussy. I've been Andrea Horan. Una Mullally wasn't here. We missed her. This has been United Ireland and that was Wexford.
3: What this pussy? 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 She's not your average girl. Allow this tailor to sing the blues. What this pussy? What this pussy? What this pussy? What is pussy? What, is what is pussy? what is pussy? What this pussy? What this pussy?